Aloha, my beautiful friends on the other side of the screen or in your earplugs. My name is Krista Rolaksmi-Ditton coming to you from beautiful San Diego, California today. I call myself New Time Coach. I believe each one of us, we have a treasure box hidden inside. And once we start to open it up, we start to manifest our inner fairy tales into this reality as our dreams on our terms. And I'm so overly excited and stoked and honored and um, so, so like uh, happy mm -hmm. to be here to introduce and welcome Berta Medina Gracia. Welcome. Thank you, Crystal. I'm so happy to be here. Honored to, to be with you today. Yay. And uh, we'll do an introduction and then we'll also tell people what happened with our first try to record this <laughs> podcast, which is kind of funny. And yes. I think... That's what happens when two powerful women come together. So forces are in action. So you are really a superwoman um, in like with the liter literal sense. Um, you have done so many things and you are a keynote speaker. You are author to many, many books. You are accountability strategist and you are adventurer, also eternal optimist adventure coach and you have also climbed Kilimanjaro and you also have a pilot license you are a business owner a mother and grandmother and I think if if I would dig deeper there would be many more titles uh, to <laughs> you so what do you say like a great woman like you where do they make such great women like you <laughs> oh my goodness. Thank you, Crystal. That's very, very uh, generous of you to say. And I think what happens is that I come from a long line of very powerful women. We, my cousins and I laugh. My, my grandmother's last name was Herrera. So we call any, any women that, that, that bear that last name in their lineage. Um, it, it's a great, tremendous honor. And, and, and I think it's just sort of part of in our DNA and we have to live up to, to those tremendous shoes to fill. And, and we have, I'm an only child, but we have a lot of cousins and, and the women Herreras are extremely powerful and we wear that title and we, we are honored to wear it. Uh, so, so I think it's, I, I've, I'm sort of just a product of, and I wish that I could even come close to, to their power and I don't by a long shot, but I, I think, I think that we, we, we empower each other into whatever we can become as, as you do with, with, with everyone who, you know, empowering them to be the best version of themselves. So your roots are actually from Cuba. And that's like, um, for me, this is so exotic, you know. Uh, when I was at school, like, um, this was something like we were not even like told much about. It was like kind mm -hmm. of like a secret project and yes. stuff, you know. And um, once, um, I've never been to Cu Cuba, just one time um, there was a flight going to Mexico, which stopped in Cuba, but we, mm -hmm. we didn't go off. But I've read so much and it has been um, such a, like, you know, so much happening there. Mm -hmm. So coming from that uh, country and then your mom was um, emigrating to uh, Miami, was it, mm -hmm. right? Yes, correct. So that's, that's um, quite a change. Like, would you like to uh, talk a little bit about that? Because I think 
the way you were raised was actually, you know, influencing and molding this amazing superwoman you are today from that (laughs) moment, right? Yeah, and I and I think what happened, which is which which is every Cuban story. I'm a first generation, uh, proud American born uh, to a Cuban family. And, and, and as we know, when, when Castro came in and everything sort of went to heck, it's almost like with Cuba now, it, it sort of went back in time. You know, it was so sprawling and, and at the top of its game in the 30s and 40s. And then you go now and it looks like, like just a third world country that never developed. And, and I think what happened, and interestingly enough, I come from African slaves, you know, Sabino, who was five generations from where I am, was an African slave who migrated, you know, was brought in, not migrated to, through a slave ship, which I found all the information the day that he arrived in Havana Harbor, you know, he was sold and married a a slave woman and they had a daughter and that daughter who was a slave child ended up becoming the wife of the plantation owner's son. They fell in love and they had my great grandmother. So my great grandmother, even though she was a product of coming from a slave mother, grew up you know, with a silver spoon in her mouth and everything sort of changed from there. And you fast forward two generations where, where my mother was, my mother was in her thirties. Um, she came to, you know, my grandfather wanted to make sure that all of his children had left the Island and then he put in to come and, and it's very disturbing how they treat people once they know that they're defecting. Uh, but my mother came to this country, like I said, in her thirties, then my father came she got pregnant and, you know, they were married and, and my father went back to Cuba when my mother was, was five months pregnant. So I grew up in, in a very typical Cuban family. Our nucleus was grandmother, grandfather, aunt, and four cousins. So even though I was an only child, I grew up with, with what are now my three siblings and that was very normal for Cubans because you had to make ends meet and you had to do what you could. And my grandfather, who was our rock, uh, figured, well, I've got to raise these four kids now, fatherless children. You know, we had fathers, they just were absent. And he was a retired police officer from Cuba, came here at 60 and then had to work three jobs, then two and eventually retired well in his 80s. Uh, made sure he didn't retire till we were all college educated and married. Um, So I come the most optimistic human being on the world. So I come from that, that DNA of, of doing whatever it takes to bring your family forward and propel them and, and empower them. And, and it's very, it's not strange for Cubans for that to be the story. And, but but I, I feel for them. I would imagine now at my age, if I had to leave everything that I've built and leave only with the clothes on my back, because that's how they weren't allowed to take anything, you know, and start over in a country where you don't know the language and, and you just, you you just come here to, for an opportunity. It's, it's almost daunting to imagine that they went through that just one generation from me. So it's, it's, and I know for you, Crystal, it's a, you know, the similarities are there Mm -hmm. because of, of the, the communism and the dictatorship and the socialism. And it's, it's, it's amazing to think that, that that's happening in our world, but it is. Yeah. 
I uh, just recently shared my own personal story about, you know, immigrating to United States right now. Mm-hmm. So, I saw that, yeah. And um, I seriously was so surprised how many people actually commented and contacted me personally and said, thank you for sharing. It really yeah. touched me. Mm-hmm. And I have been immigrating to many countries, you know, South Africa, Norway, Mexico and others. And I've never felt so vulnerable as when I moved to United States. And people are like, what do you mean? And it's like, you know, just waiting for your green card. You're not allowed to work and all of these things. And work for me was part of my identity. So if you take work away, like, who am I, you know? And also it's like, you know, coming from another country, you come here, you have no credit. So you're like no one. You start from zero, completely from zero. zero. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, with all that, like I think what we both have in common is probably that resourcefulness. We are coming from another culture and another country. Um, this is something which we got really, you know, um, deeply um, in in a way infected by Estonian culture. Right. You know, that you know, uh, growing up during the Soviet time, um, there were many times we didn't have, you know, enough of, you know, luxuries or even like food, you know. So you had to figure out like how to manage things and how to make yeah. things work and how to make ends meet and so on. So I think that resourcefulness has really come with me wherever I've been. And people outside, they're like, oh, my God, like, how did you come to this? And uh, what did you do? You know, and it's amazing. Yeah, and that's why I also so admire you, like, especially that you also now are building um, this um, beautiful project you call uh, Dreamers Succeed. And in your book, uh, The Why is the Way, which I also um, have a copy with with your signature and story. Um, You also actually mention your mom, who was, you know, um, working hard and Uh, had only very few free days per week and then was very very um, you know tired and didn't wait for the Monday and Mm -hmm. it has actually partly also inspired you to start to work more about and with dreams not only with yourself but also uh, other people so can you um, tell us a little more about that story and also uh, was that the part where the seeds kind of um, uh, of your dreams um, were started or was it in some other story? Yeah, and that's, yeah, and that's a great question, Crystal, and I appreciate you mentioning it. And, and in the book, I, I talk a lot about how when we're living, being on purpose and with purpose, um, we don't hate Mondays. I mean, for me, Monday is a great day uh, to start the week, but I live every day because I'm living in passion and in alignment with who I am. So my mom's story was that she worked, uh, you know, came here after she was college educated in Cuba, did not have the luxury of, of getting her title here as a teacher. So she just went and did factory work. So she worked every day and Saturday was errand day. And then Sunday she was already preparing for Monday and everything she had to do. So she, she just dreaded Monday so much that she began to hate Sundays and they would bleed into her weekend. And, and I know a lot of people still, and Crystal, you probably do as well, that hate Mondays. And it's not that they hate Mondays. Mondays has never done anything to you. It's just that you're not living your life with purpose. So, so I think what happened, 
happened was you grow up seeing that and I'm an eternal optimist, even when I probably should not have been an eternal optimist. We grew up with a lot of lack, uh, not a lot of encouragement because there was, everybody was working and trying to make ends meet and great people. I wouldn't trade my childhood for anything in the world, but, but there was, there was a lot left undone and, 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 and unsaid just because of the circumstances, but I still somehow found a way to be always extremely optimistic. And I think that, that my thing was, listen, if we just dare to dream, we can make those dreams come true. And if we just dare to keep that vision in front of us, we can, we can, we can make them come true. And I know you're a vision board person like me and, and I've been able to bring my vision boards to life. And I tell people, listen, if we, if we're willing to put in the work and just stay with that vision in front of us. And that's really how dreamers succeed was born. Just letting people know, listen, you will succeed, but you have to keep that dream alive. You can't just give up when things get yeah. tough. Yeah. It sometimes seems to me as, as I work with people and clients as well, um, they have dreams or they want things, but then I ask like, okay, can you show me what you have done for this to come uh, in life? You know, right. and then like, it's almost like, you know, with the regular seed, if you don't put it into the soil, you can't expect anything to, you know, come of it, you know, and many people that. are just, they go into the garden. It's like, why nothing is happening? Why is there no, like, um, I want fruits. Why are there yes. no fruits? You know, and it's like, okay, did you do the work to put the seed down and figure out, is that the, you know, right um, place for this? Like, is it enough, you know, uh, humidity and light and whatever it needs, you know? Mm-hmm. And then uh, did you take care of it? Did you take the weeds out when they came and all of those things? And and then they like, I don't want to do, do those things. I want this to just like, I go to the garden and the fruits are there. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't work like that, right? So, yes, yes, and, absolutely. Um, so in uh, several of your interviews, I heard, um, I also am that kind of person. I really like to kind of like shock uh, strangers. So right. one of your favorite uh, questions you uh, oftentimes ask, even in the Starbucks, uh, from mm-hmm. random people, what is that question? It's, it's what's your dream? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and what and do they what say is, then? You know, first of all, they, they look at you sort of shocking. First, they, they think that you're crazy <laughs> or high or something. Um, and, and the sad thing is, Crystal, that a lot of people have never been asked that question. Mm-hmm. I remember uh, one of the first times that this happened, I'm at a, a Starbucks and there was a, an 80, he must have been like 82, Melvin. We became friends and we still email each other. And when we see each other at Starbucks, when you could go to Starbucks, um, you know, and I, and I, we got onto a conversation. And I just said, well, you know, what's your dream? And he looked at me like I was loony. And then he he started and and even at 82 years old he still had a dream he was from north carolina still had a dream of of creating a, a children's home because he was a product of of adoption coming out of the foster care system and if if kids just had a place a safe place to go and for people to love on them and to teach them and and help them understand that there is a better life for them and that was still on his radar and he was looking for investors and he was but he talked about it 
And then he sent me an email afterwards and he said, you know, nobody ever asked me that. I haven't talked about that in 30 years. And, and he goes, you just, you just planted a seed in there that I need to get moving on this project because if, if I'm only here for a hundred years, I've, I've got to get this done in 18 years. And it, it was just so beautiful. And, and, you know, kids don't have that problem, Crystal. Kids, you ask them what's your dream and they go as big as, you know, before society. And I do a lot of, you know, with the, with the children's book, uh, Chloe Climbs for Sippy, I do a lot of school um, career days and talk to children about the power of, of, of generosity. And, and, and I don't think I've ever had a kid not be able to ask that question, not be able to answer that question of what their dream is. But as adults, we need to be asking each other and we need to be exploring that. That's why I love so much about what you and Michael are doing because it forces us to look at it. And, and when, when you ask that question and somebody looks at you like, what? You know, everybody has a dream. They just have to dig, up, dig it up. Yeah, I remember this one situation. I was actually volunteering in South Africa and we were um, uh, doing this class with kids in a local township and um, it was an art class. And I wanted to tell them a story where I was coming from and that I didn't have rich family or Mm -hmm. not enough, you know, stuff and encourage them to know about the world and look at the world map and, you know, that someone from Estonia um, had a dream to come to Africa and South Africa kind of popped up and there I was and nice. so as I was telling that they were like Estonia is that even a country <laughs> you know never heard of it and um, so I could enrich their lives and say like you know there is a different country and um, you know uh, very uh, courageous people come from there and then also I asked them what is your dream And what was so interesting, they had to like draw it or, you know, paint it. Mm -hmm. And most of these kids are, you know, um, were at that time living in a township. So um, they didn't have much security. You know, Um, I got to know also another lady from township and I wanted to go and visit her. And every time we had a scheduled appointment, we had to change it because someone was dying uh, because of AIDS or someone was shot or some, some uh, an other funeral was happening. So it was really um, crazy chaotic. So when I was asking what's their dream, what do you think their number one thing was what they did or drew on the picture? Oh my gosh. What? House, home. A house, a home. Wow. Yeah. For them, the home and security of a home was like, they, they couldn't even, when I asked, like, would you like to travel? They're like, what is this? You know, they, they were so into that security and like mm. having a place where you, where you are safe. Um, wow. So that, that was a very touchy uh, experience for me. And I know um, you are like full-blown philanthropist and you uh, did this amazing uh, project with Kilimanjaro Climb. And um, can you share with us about that dream, um, how that came about? And, you know, um, this is not every type of person to go and climb that mountain. It's uh, such an undertaking and you came back alive. (laughs) 
Yes, uh, absolutely, Crystal. And I and I think what what's funny is that when we when we dream and when we're just we're just in working mode. You know how they always say you don't have to worry about the how. You just have to you just have to know what it is that you want and work in the direction of always. And and my daughter at the time was living in Colorado Springs. She was newly married, had just had my granddaughter, and she was following a, a person by the name of Ty, who was also a photographer like her in Colorado, and they had you know, their babies were born a day apart. So she was visiting home. It was in January and she's scrolling through her Instagram posts and she sees a picture from Ty that talks about this trip that they're doing to help Maasai children in Africa. So she reads about it and she, and she calls me, I'm in the kitchen cooking and she goes, mom, you got to come see this. This is everything that you have on your vision board. It's working with Maasai children. It's climbing Kilimanjaro. It's, it's a mission trip to Africa. And I start reading through it and I'm getting all excited. And I, I come and I tell my husband, you know, listen, I'm going to be in Africa in September. I hadn't even, you know, filled out the paperwork. And, um, I'm going to be in Africa in September and we're going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro and, and you can't come. I had never gone on vacation without my husband. Uh, this wasn't a vacation, but, and I said, and you can't come cause we're climbing a mountain and you have gout and you're not going to be able to do it. So, Oh, and I need $1,500. <laughs> right. Immediately. Yeah. So, so I, I fill out the, the information and I, and I get an email, which just sucked the wind out of me that said, you're on a waiting list. Cause of course everybody wants to do this. So I thought, okay, forget it. This is not, this is not the time, you know, whatever. And, and about a week later I get a call come in and I'm, at my office, I had a title company at the time, and and I see a, a an area code seven one nine, and it was Colorado Springs, and they were telling me, "Hey, are you still interested?" And I said, "Yes, I'm still interested," and 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 they told me there was space for me to go. So the 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 purpose of the trip was for each climber to sponsor a child, a Maasai child, and we had to commit to raise just under $6,000. It was 58.95 is how many meters uh, uh, the height of Mount Kilimanjaro, the summit. So that's how much the trip cost for us to pay. And then we had to raise another just under $6,000 because that meant that the child that we sponsored, they were all five years old, would be able to use that those funds to support you know, the education, the nutritional and the medical needs of that child until they graduated high school to make sure that that was giving them the best opportunity to climb out of poverty. Because in Kenya, schools are public, but they're not free. So these, you know, people living in such poverty, that cycle is never broken because they can't afford to send their kids to school. So I was all on board. I had, I was already 46, postmenopausal, lived in Miami, Florida, thing about Miami is we're at sea level, no mountains ever in sight. I had never climbed a mountain in my life. And um, so I had to start training like big time and walking. I think I walked, you know, a thousand miles every, every three months or something like that. I went, you know, to Seattle, went to Mount Rainier, tried to do a few practice climbs. And in September we were in, in Kenya. And went by way of Tanzania. I got to meet my my sponsored child, Sipao. Um, met his whole family, which was a tremendous blessing. And and we were spent seven days on the mountain, sleeping in tents with no showers, uh, which was extremely uncomfortable for me because I'm a three shower a day person. And 
And you know what? I came back. Uh, I had been in, in title for 28 years, came back from that mountain and said, I was already in my coaching certification program at the University of Miami and came back and told my husband and my kids, listen, I'm retiring from title. This is what I want to do. And I'm going to coach because it, it it's something that's very rewarding and will give me the flexibility. But I want to, I want to dedicate the rest of my life to, to serving these children and, and, and doing as many mission trips as I can. And that was October by December 31st, I was retired and had given away my business, my Miami business to a friend that the title here and gave away my Orlando business to, to a friend I had in Orlando and never looked back. And uh, it changed my world because now we have 23 sponsored children all around the world. I've met a good handful of them in Cambodia and in Kenya. And, and my mission is to, to meet, to get to know all of them so that they know that I'm real, not just the letters and the pictures. And it's been a, a heck of a ride. So it's yeah. been a tremendous blessing. Yeah. So I was really right when I said you are a superwoman because it's not every woman who has 23 kids. Or, no, I mean, all <laughs> plus your own kids, so plus 25, right? Yeah, those are, yeah. those are sponsored children. Fortunately, they have yeah. uh, their parents and all we do is mm-hmm. send a little contribution to help them on their way every month. But it's, it's like I said, and, and that's really the message, Crystal, is that um, when we're living from a place of generosity, we can't even begin to to try to calculate how much more we get, how much more we receive from when we're giving. Yeah. I can only imagine what it does with your karma. So you have yeah, so much good I, karma. It's like I, overflowing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't keep score, but but God yeah. has been extremely generous <laughs> with yeah. me. So I'm I'm grateful. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, just talking about it, like um, in general also, um, so let's go back now to that prior story. So we had actually, um, you know, arranged to meet today in the morning time, my time and do the recording. And we just couldn't do it because the weather was kind of turning crazy where you are in Florida. Mm-hmm. And it start when we like gave up and it's like, okay, let's reschedule. Um, then I realized like, oh, my God. I usually, you know, I, I make like really strong, intentional, you know, uh, choices like, OK, now all the forces of this and that come together and support. And then, of course, I forgot the weather forces or weather <laughs> gods. <laughs> and in Hawaii, as we lived in Hawaii, I got really connected to Lono. Lono is the god of rain and fertility. And um, also, you know, everything uh, which has to do with abundance as well. So. And um, then I realized, I actually contacted Michael and I said, I think Lono is really upset that I didn't (laughs) include it in my (laughs) intentional prayer. So uh, Michael said, okay, let's pray then and let's, you know, talk uh, Lono some sense, you know, and that's what we did. And now we have a nice uh, communication. Yes, it was was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, why I bring this in is also one of the things we really learned in Hawaii is, you know, communicating and connecting with this, you know, invisible world um, is always uh, very, um, you know, contributional for our lives, but it, mm-hmm. it's also connecting us um, with what's out there and also with our inner, but it's also part of that feminine essence. So 
which is, you know, that, you know, you get that idea or your intuition says, you know, okay, Berta, you're going to go to Kili now. So get your yeah. stuff together and then yeah. you go. Like there is no excuse anymore. You just get your stuff and you go. And yeah. I think the uh, dreamers who succeed are the ones who are actually listening to these calls and then doing it. Like you have done it over and over again, but of course mm. with the Kili especially. So I myself, I did um, not that magnitude yet because I have a little altitude thing going on, but I'm more like kind of a mermaid going into the depth. I feel mm -hmm. more comfortable there. But mm -hmm. I did my own pilgrimage in uh, uh, Norway for like almost two weeks. I climbed like it's, it's, um, it's not wow. that high, just like 1,000 uh, feet uh, or a little more, I think. No, it was 1,000 meters above sea level so mm, wow yeah so kind of climbing up there and then i did fasting and then i stayed there completely alone for like that time uh, period and i completely fell in love with the mountain with myself and i had all these ideas coming to me also what to do later and how to change my life and i think that's the power of um, the mountains they really shift yeah. something deep inside mm -hmm. and as you came back you started to dive into this coaching world could you mm -hmm. tell us um how was that transition and um how did you also feel that your mountain uh, actually Kili became like kind of like a being who was backing you up like you can do it Berta like okay mm -hmm. let's go let's do it and yep. then you jumped into that and how was that transition yeah and that's a great question crystal and i and i think and i think you just said something that is so important that you said i went to that mountain and i fell in love with myself and and i think that's and and i say this to everyone not just women and and when i'm speaking and when i'm doing corporate events uh it's so extremely important what happened with me was when i went on that first on that first mission trip I committed to, when I came back, I committed to vacationing uh, by myself at least once a year, just because I, I, I grew up with low self-esteem. Everything was against me, um, not, not because I, 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 that, that was going on in my head. It's just that the, the optimistic gods were not necessarily in my favor at least looking from the outside. I never saw it that way, but it was that, oh my God, poor girl. She doesn't have a father. I know they don't have money. And oh, you know, and I'm thinking, well, there's nothing wrong here, but I did have uh, self-esteem issues, very clearly, very clear self-esteem issues. So when I went on this mountain, I think it was, I was powered so much by the determination to succeed because of what it meant for someone else, I would never have done it for me. So when I, I was in the middle of the, of the coach, I, I actually, I did like two classes from, from Africa with very shoddy, um, you know, reception, but I was in the middle of the course when I came back that I decided to go into it full time. It was almost that, and, and people had always called me a coach, Crystal, all of my life. And they would say, hey, I'm having this issue. Can we get together? I didn't know coaching was a career. I, one of my daughters, it was crazy. One of my daughter's best friends had just broken up with her boyfriend. She was at the house and we're trying to, you know, get her through it. And she said, Bertha, you should really become a coach. And I'm like, oh, people call me that all the time, whatever. And she goes, no, but like, you should really do it. And I'm like, what do you mean? 
and 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 I and she goes, no, like you can that can be a career. You can get certified, and you can. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and two weeks later, I mean, I started really investigating and looking into it, and I and I I two weeks later, I was enrolled in in UM. And, and that was the beginning of, of, of everything. And I just feel that we're blessed that we're able to inject life into people's dreams. I, the fact that we yeah. get to do that, Crystal, is crazy. It's really amazing, especially to see that once they start to believe in themselves, like how their lives and, you know, everything shifts. And one thing what I would like to maybe dive deeper now into as a woman and, and you just um, uh, shared this too, you know, this transition and um, how you were also struggling with self-esteem and so on. So many people now when they go over into maybe transition into a new profession and it's mm-hmm. exciting and, um, you know, they do their baby steps and so on. And many of them also uh, kind of hit the wall because um, there is not enough support or they don't know how to, um, you know, ask for it. And then uh, what happens also is that um, they collapse or they stop or, you know, they like, oh, this is not meant for me and just goes mm-hmm. into this vicious circle and so on. And um, just this short time period, we know you um, through another online class and we met you Mm -hmm. last week, which was really amazing. I know just like being in your presence, I felt like, oh my God, like if I'm gonna just, you know, want to scale my business, I need to be close to Berta, just ask Mm -hmm. her questions and she will kick my ass, literally. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So so, um, can you tell us, you know, how would you recommend people, especially women, because we have those issues, you know, uh, mm-hmm. whatever the reason is, culture or background or husbands or whatever. Um, how do we get over that, um, you know, notion of I'm not good enough or I have to have more certifications or more experience and, um, oh, no, I can't ask this, you know, number or this price for my services. What would you recommend them to do to do that next level step or like really kick their own ass, so to say? Yeah, yeah. And that's great, Kristen. I think there are, there are several layers to what you're asking me here. And I, I had so much fun, uh, you know, sitting with you at lunch. That was like a like a total dream in San Diego uh, last week and, and, and just amazing. But I think, Crystal, there are, like I said, several layers. Num- number one thing, I think those people that, that quit too early, you know, how they talk about quitting, you know, three, three feet from the gold for the gold miner at the beginning and that introductory story that so many people know so well and, and think and grow rich. I think what happens is that when you are not really, really focused on your why, I think when you have that clarity of the vision of why you're doing what you're doing, that is, is going to be the driving force. There are going to be obstacles. There are going to be naysayers. There are going to be, you know, a lot of things. And I think that, that there are dark forces in the world that may try to get in your way, especially when you're bringing so much light. You just, you can't be subject to that. And I think a good way not to be subject to that is to be very, very clear on why it is that you started, why it is that you wanted to do it. If you keep that in front of you, that's why I'm a firm believer in the vision board. Mine sits right in front of my toilet. I cannot ignore <laughs> my vision board. Um, and I think that that it's very important to keep that vision alive. Now, it, 
is there work? Yes, there's work. Am I sitting at my computer or on the phone sometimes 16 hours a day? Yes. But if you are truly doing what you are meant to do and what you are aligned with, you're going to love every minute of the work. And and the work is never really going to suck, as I say. Um, mm-hmm. Now, the other the other thing is, and, and Crystal, it's crazy because it really does happen to us as women. We get into this this value and the self-worth and, and it affects the pricing. I can't tell you, men don't have that problem for whatever reason. And I coach men and I coach women. You tell them, listen, I believe that this is what you should be charging. They have no problem with it. But when you tell a woman, she's like, yeah, but, and they start, you know, going through their features. And I think for anyone out there who's in a service industry, and especially when it's a heart-centered service industry, Crystal, because what you and I do, we are enrolled in the vision of everyone that we have the honor to work with. And we, I, I, people that I work with immediately become my family. So I automatically want the success for them. Like I would want it for my own children, for, for my, my for anyone. So I think that one of the most important things is that instead of focusing on the features, you have to focus on the results. And I always tell coaches and people that I'm coaching, I say, listen, there's no money in coaching. If you think that you're going to make money in coaching, there's no money there. Okay. The money is in the results and the success of your business is going to be in the results that you're able to bring your clients. So you, there has to be a level of, yes, a level of, of aptitude. There has to be, uh, you have to be well-versed and have the expertise and have the experience to be able to bring those results for your, for your clients. But even when people have all of that, they're still not valuing what they're bringing to the table enough. And it's because they're focused on the features instead of focused on the results. I know that what I bring to the table with accountability, with my passion for helping people manifest and, and bring their dreams to reality, I, I get to a point where I want it more than they do. I get to a point where, where I'm envisioning it more powerfully than they are. And you know what? That helps me show up. And so I know that the results are there. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll tell you another thing about, about pricing. I used to do this at the beginning, Crystal, that I would say, well, how much can you pay? Oh, I can pay, you know, $200. And I would just, and I was doing them a disservice because what people don't pay for, they don't value. It wasn't until I decided to really start charging what I, what I felt that I was worth that my clients started really getting results. Okay. And it's not cheap. It's not meant to be cheap, but you know what? Their, their results are exponentially far, and I'm over, way over-delivering in value than compared to what I'm charging. So, so I think as women and as, and as people in, in the service industry, we need to focus on what are those results worth to the people. And I heard mm-hmm. a great quote once at a seminar that someone said, listen, even broke people make bail. And, and what that means is, and I've done it, Crystal, I'm, I'm sure you, you've done it. I've paid for certifications that I didn't have the money, that I put it on a credit card and don't even ask. I'd rather ask for forgiveness later because I know my husband wouldn't have, you know, openly permitted that. But you know what? He'll find out when, when we get the bill. But I've done it because I've known what that investment is going to represent for me and my business. And that's really what we, we have to shift 
the focus of how we're seeing our pricing uh, to to really one of results instead of features. I think it's the one thing I can tell people that they need to be doing. And I really liked also when we had our lunch, you said that you were at the point where you were actually telling, I think your son, you said, uh, I'm quitting coaching. I'm just going into speaking. And then um, you basically flipped it kind of saying like, okay, let's just raise our prices so much that no one will want it. And then some clients just popped up and, hey, I will yeah. buy this package, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And you were surprised. Yeah. And, and it, I, yeah. I think it's it's that thing, you know, that you're not really chasing it anymore. You know your value and you stand in it. And yeah. if you don't want it, I don't need you kind of thing. Exactly. And then, exactly. then they come like, you know. <laughs> and I and I think too the the exclusivity piece, Crystal, which which I think a lot of times, um, especially we as women, think we can do it. We know we can do it all. Let me rephrase that. We know we can do it all, but do we really have to? Do we have to run ourselves ragged and not have time? You know, I like I said, I came back with that commitment to vacation by myself, and I I ended up falling in love with myself. It took me fifty years, but it finally happened, right? And and then I committed to doing it, and now I. I go away by myself like seven times a year. Okay. And my husband loves it because we've been married 33 years. So he's probably happy that I'll, that I'm gone most of the time. But, but I, that was the only way for me to really get myself to know myself. Cause I got married at 19, had children right away, went from my mom's home to my husband's home. And then was taking care of our elderly moms as the kids were growing up. So it's just, you never have, you never have you. And, and, and we have to be intentional about that. And another thing, Crystal, what happened with those clients that started coming in when someone is willing to invest. And I think at the time I was charging like $10,000 a year or something like that. When I raised my prices so that they would call me, right? Um, when someone is coming to coaching, ready to invest that kind of money in themselves, half of the work is already done because you know that they value their outcome. Mm -hmm. They and show then, up on time and they do they their thing. On, exactly. you, you don't need to have to chase them and their money and, you know. And, and, they, and they show up and you know what? They're going to get re the results because they are committed to themselves as well. Mm -hmm. and, and the rest that you're doing is just you're facilitating that and you're loving them and cheering them through it and, and just super enjoying their, their journey. Because that's mm -hmm. the thing that then all the clients become friends and, and the friends become family and, and, bef and it's just, I think it's the, like I say, I, I think the fact that we, that we can make a business out of something we have so much passion for is really, it's a beautiful time to exist right now. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I got like, I made notes because I got like three kind of legs now running different directions. So I tried to yes. kind of follow them. <laughs> so flow with you as a dolphin here. So yeah. uh, I want to really comment the self-love part because I've worked with this so much. Like I, as you know, our story with Michael, I looked for my Mr. Right, um, you know, 14 yes. years in 30 mm -hmm. countries and then I gave up and I realized that, wow, I have my inner family inside of me, the inner child, inner woman, inner man. Yes. And one of the times the inner man and inner woman started to kind of make out and it's like, okay, I think we're ready to get married. And then I was like, okay, let's get married. So 
we got married, like, you know, officially, I had a big party for my inner man and inner woman to get married and even it. had like two different rings, you know, and um, put one in, in one hand and another in another. So the masculine and feminine, you know, and yeah. I had the cake and food and music and photographer, the whole thing. And it was such a special thing. It actually came into you know the Estonian one of the Estonian newspaper did it as a cover story and <gasps> love that. From, I love yeah that. and from there it took off to uh, several other international you know uh, media platforms like UK and and mm. Netherlands and different places um, started to pick that story up like oh my god this is the new thing it's called solo gamist uh, so people who are solo and then they marry themselves because they're like okay I don't need a man or whatever the reason is you know mm-hmm. and um, uh, so this is one way also to kind of show self-love um, but for me I think what really uh, changed there was like I stopped the chase like you you know you stop the chase of clients and then Mm. you know things what you like and people you like start to kind of uh, gravitate towards you and uh, it makes your life so much easier right Mm -hmm. so yeah but and and the second thing which I wanted to uh, really also address um, because this is something I uh, strongly kind of um, talk about it the same way Mm -hmm. Um, I have told so many years that you know uh, we take vacations from our work and whatever we do you know have little breaks but Mm -hmm. so often we don't take breaks from our relationships and our relationships also need vacations so like a relationship vacation so Mm -hmm. Um, especially if you are in long-term relationships and if you do it regularly then both people can actually or both persons they can actually start to also come together in a different energy and appreciate each other much more so um, as you talked you have been married for so many years so Mm -hmm. now we know one of your tricks is that you have those uh, you know holidays alone (laughs) but (laughs) I only started doing that about, you know, six years ago. But yeah. but okay, so what are the other tricks? Um, I always, when I meet women or men who have been married for a very long time, I always want to know their secrets. Like, could you give us maybe three more secrets um, of the long-term marriage, happy marriage? You know, I think, I think that one of the things and 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 we we did have to go to therapy and it's not that our marriage is perfect by any stretch of the imagination uh but one of the most important things i think is to to really be two individuals not just especially for for i think for for me because i got married so young you sort of become an entity and and there's nothing wrong with that but i think that there there's still there's there's it's very important for there to be two individuals that are well rounded that choose to come together instead of being each other's you know completing each other as they say nothing wrong with that but i think that each individual needs to be a a standalone complete person to be able to to come together in a relationship that is that is healthy and and can sustain everything that life throws at us. And, and I think the other thing is just uh, having a good sense of humor, at least for me, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, I've never, I'm 
I'm, 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 I'm overly cautious, even with as much of a potty mouth as I am, uh, to make sure that, that no one can, that uh, at least my husband can never say I've, you know, said anything that has been disrespectful or hurtful because those words, those words, you know, we're, we're going to forget the good stuff they said, but we're going to remember all the ugly words, you know? So I've made a commitment to myself from the beginning that I was never going to fall into that category. And, and it's not that I haven't been on the receiving end of that, but at least no one can say that I've ever, that I ever dished that out. And, and that goes for marriages or for every, any other relationship, especially with our children, with anyone around us. Um, and I think that's, that's important. Again, I'm not, I'm not good at being careful with what comes out of my mouth, but I am extremely careful about making sure that good comes out of my mouth when I'm dealing with people. Yeah, you actually, I think, mentioned in several places. I uh, watched through your videos, uh, focus on the good. And mm -hmm. I think this is such a, a crucial thing in any relationship because yeah. so many times we can get stuck in like, oh, he's not doing that or she's so right. bad with that. And then mm -hmm. just uh, it piles up one after the other. And then yeah. in the end, there is nothing good left. So, no, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that, that's a really good point. So um, me and you, there is another big uh, similarity is mm -hmm. that we both like to actually face fear. And yes. you have talked so um, much about this, but um, let's like share with our viewers and listeners. What's your view about and take um, about fear? Um, how should one deal with the fear? And um, also, um, you had some really interesting uh, story from your childhood, like living in a, a small place and going mm -hmm. to the toilet at nighttime. And that yeah. was like a really good first lesson about fear. Can you tell yeah. about that? For sure. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll start there. So, so my mom, who, who just passed uh, this last November, um, I still can't even believe when I say that, but my mom at, at 84, which was when she passed, uh, she was always afraid of the dark. Uh, like just could not, she always had to sleep. She lived with us, but she always had to have a light on in the closet. She was definitely afraid of the dark. So when I was newly potty trained, I must've been a year and a half, whatever. Um, I'd have to get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. And there was this long haul to get to the one bathroom, but you know, everybody worked and we couldn't turn on the light because it would wake up everybody in the house. Cause we're in a small space. So she would be afraid to walk out there with me. So what she would do is she would tell me, listen, go, go by yourself. And, and don't worry, God is with you. Nothing's going to happen. So I would take her word for it and I would go and go to the bathroom, do my thing and come back. Um, so, so without even realizing probably what she was doing, because she was operating from her own place of fear, that was just injected in me at a very, very young age. And then fear was really just not an issue. You know, we're only born with two fears, the fear of falling and the fear of loud noises. Everything else is just injected to us by society, by our parents, by any other external factor. So it was, uh, it was very interesting because as I began to get more and more adventurous and would start doing all these crazy things, you know, postmenopausal, my mother would be like, but aren't you afraid of jumping out of a plane and 
going to fly and, and, you know, going to Africa by yourself. And I would say, no, mom, because God is with me. And, and, and that was her own, those were her own words. And, and I'm, I'm blessed by that lesson. But I think, uh, Crystal, every, every fear that we have has an expiration and, and it ceases to exist the minute that we face it. And, and what we have to do, like you said, is, is there to face it. Yeah, I've had several times um, flying from one place to another and so often I sit next to someone who has uh, fear of heights and like fear of, you know, flying and they are like shaking there and I say, just kind of putting my uh, hand on their hand and saying, just, you know, calm down. This plane will not go down because I have a big mission and it just can't go down. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it, Crystal. And then they're like, okay, so if you say so, like, so they try to calm down. But I like yours even better, so I I may next time use that one. There you go. There you go. (laughs) So as a woman, um, you know, you have done pilot license and uh, Michael is in a process to get uh, his soon. And last year he took me, I didn't even know it was like a surprise trip. You know, he took me to to fly and um, I didn't even know. I thought, you know, certainly like an instructor is going to fly, but he was sitting on a pilot seat and I was like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. So, but of course the instructor was with, with us in a plane. So I felt a little more safer. And, and so I started to ask like how many years you have, been doing this and it was a woman too so and she seemed to be very confident and stuff and we had this amazing gorgeous uh san diego afternoon flight you know um over all these beautiful mountains and ocean and and areas so it was like really amazing so um tell us now how did it happen like a woman like you came even to that idea to become a pilot and that road like how much time uh, did it take for you and what have you done with it like have have you used it also because sometimes yeah. we do it and then it's just like you know a thing <laughs> on the, on your shelf yeah yeah and i and i still have 5 hours to go i have my night flying to do but it's so funny crystal because i've always wanted to to get my i just wanted to learn how to fly if, you know if the poop hits the fan and i need to get in a plane and and take off i want to be able to do that so my husband on our 25th anniversary i bought him uh, he's he's a he loves Harley Davidsons and he never had a motorcycle before. So I worked on it for four months. Didn't tell anybody. Didn't tell my children. Didn't tell my mom because I was paying a dollar for the motorcycle and twenty five thousand dollars for the surprise. I wanted to have that element of surprise. So it was our twenty fifth anniversary. I I took him you know for a spa day and we spent the whole day in the spa and I had the salesman from. The and it was Thanksgiving weekend, so my son had come down from Orlando. I had the salesman, everything lined up for him to come to our house, put the bike in the garage, put the balloons, and then he was gonna wait in the garage with the bike so that he could walk my husband through it. So, so I I had coordinated all this stuff. So we drive into into our driveway, and when we open the garage door, there's this bike full of balloons, right? It was a beautiful soft tail, just the most beautiful bike I'd ever seen. And, and my husband's looking like, 
like he doesn't he thinks he's something weird is he can't can't make sense of what is happening right now and he starts freaking out he starts crying he can't believe it he's all excited he goes and he talks to the guy and whatever so he hadn't gotten me anything <laughs> right for our 25th anniversary but i'm not i'm not like that i don't i don't care i mean i'd be happy if you make me a nice ribeye and a baked potato and and we'll call it a day and he freaked out because he said now I have to tell everyone that my wife just got me a motorcycle for our 25th anniversary and I didn't get her shit right so he runs across the street our our excuse my language um runs across the street and our one of our front door neighbors is a flight a flight instructor and him and I would always talk shop and and he said listen how much is it going to cost for you to get my wife flying lessons because I, I need something urgent right now. So, so they coordinated, you know, landed on something. And then he came over and knocked by my door and said, Hey, by the way, happy anniversary. Your husband just got you, you know, um, 40 hours worth of flight lessons or whatever. And, and I'm thinking, this is pretty cool because he knew I always wanted to do it. So I sort of, it sort of just came to me like that as that gift of of feeling guilty <laughs> right and i was like i'm all about it let's go let's do it and and two days later we were already at Miami airport and and it was just great fun at the time my daughter was living in colorado springs still so i always you know it took me so long to get to colorado springs that i always said i just want to have my own plane i had an office in miami an office in orlando and i said man it would be so much better just to fly for an hour than to have to drive for four hours over and then four hours back once a week, every week for six years. So, so it just became a lot of fun. And, and by the time I soloed, I, you know, that was it. I would just show up at the airport, grab the keys and, 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 and take off. And everybody thought I was crazy. And I would say, it's not crazy that there's more of a chance of me dying, you know, on the way to the airport to get on the plane than there is for me to, so it just, it just became fun. And, and, and like I said, I still have night flying to do. I, I have to get back into the habit of, of, of just flying all the time now. So, so no, I haven't done anything with it yet. Uh, my plan is to to buy a the the biggest plane that I can fly, which I flew, helped the pilot co-piloted over the Masai Mara, is a is a C two twenty Airbus. Uh, it's a single engine, but it fits about twenty three people. Has a lot of cargo. So my dream is to buy that plane, park it in Nairobi, and then be able to take goods and people between Masai villages because it's very hard to get in and out of the bush. And um, so, yeah, that's what it's going to be for. <laughs> wow, amazing. <laughs> yeah. It has the why, as you said. It has to have the yeah. why, right? That's so it. Absolutely. It, yeah. Absolutely. And um, it's, it's one of the things which I also noticed with uh, Michael's instructor was that she was very confident. And yes. it's the thing, you know, you learn something and then you practice, 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 mm -hmm. and then your self-confidence grows with it. So right. it's uh, really amazing how that works. So um, I just recently, when we were in Hawaii, started to, you know, paddle with Outrigger Canoe. And that was like wow. another, you know, world to me. And I was like, this seems like so dangerous and this thing can just flip, <laughs> you know. And 
and capsize and then if you are in the wrong place and you do wrong thing you can actually die you know yeah and um it was just so exciting i i took like i sat on every you know uh, bench there and like figured out what the um you know resp- responsibilities were and learned uh, to steer a little bit and so on so um every time after this um paddling class i felt like I had conquered the world. Like yes, I, I felt so powerful. It's probably what you feel every time you fly. Mm-hmm. So it's amazing. And my, and Michael is also saying, I like flying. I would like to just like you know go crazy flying. You know, so <laughs> very nice. So who knows? One day we'll we'll fly together. So, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. I would love that. Yeah. So now one thing which I also thought as a person um knowing you a little bit and also see seeing how many things you are accomplishing and doing and how much is on your plate so um could you also share with us your you know daily habits and uh, structure and system because so many people when they start to do these things they love it or it is also that sometimes you may get overwhelmed and you don't know like you know how to handle it all it, yeah. it just is too much so Mm -hmm. what's your suggestion and what what are your practices yeah and i think that's a a really great question crystal i think the greatest cure for overwhelm is to start your day at 5 a.m okay so what happens is i start at 5 a.m my 5 to 7 5 to 8 work is my grunt work my linkedin my marketing my meditation my affirmations my reading that's my time that's my me time because the rest of the world is is asleep uh, nobody's calling. The phone is not ringing. I'm not. I'm not getting a bunch of emails. That's where I work a lot of my mutual introduction emails that I'm very committed to, and and that's my me time. And Crystal, let me tell you, there are days when in those three hours I get about six hours worth of work done. So with the exception of phone calls and coaching sessions and any virtual trainings that I have to do, I'm pretty much done with my day by eight nine a.m. And the rest of the day is for me to go play with my granddaughter, to go uh, hiking, to go out and walk, to go do whatever it is that I want to do. But it really starts with that very, very powerful morning routine. And I promise if you can commit to, to waking up early in the day, it's amazing how many more hours. It's almost like you don't, you don't just have 24 hours in the day anymore. Um, you, have, you have a lot more. Another thing that I do is I time block. I time block, everything goes on my calendar. Even spontaneity, which sounds so weird, goes on my calendar. I have a lot of time to play, but I I calendar my playtime. I calendar my girlfriend time. I calendar my Chloe time. Um, I I calendar everything in, and and it's amazing when I when I keep really good track how how much free time I have. And and I think I think the trick to it all is really having a powerful morning routine. Yeah, I so agree. Um, I have uh, kind of tested myself different uh, things as well. And Mm -hmm. I'm generally not a really morning person. But if I have a good enough reason, then I, I can be like, when I lived in Hawaii, um, I knew that if I go and, you know, get up early and go into the ocean I have a chance to swim with the wild dolphins so um, I love it 
that's a good why to get up. Yes, absolutely. And over here, it's basically when I go and train early in the morning, I have uh, figured out actually even like estimated it. I save almost an hour because early morning there is no traffic. And then also when I go to the gym, like everything is kind of available. And then Mm -hmm. when I come back, it's also, you know, less, still less traffic. So um, I I save a lot of time and then everything is easier and and there is less stress. And then once I've done that, then I'm already like turned on to jump into any project I have for the day. So I love it. really works. I love it. And and I'm like you, yeah. Crystal. I'm not a morning person because I I'm never in bed before midnight ever. I just I force myself because I know that it's it's it it's powerful what it does to my day. So yeah. But I, I mm-hmm. love sleeping in. I just don't do it, but I love sleeping in. <laughs> yeah. Very good. So now um, to start to wrap it up, of course, we could talk with you like hours in end, but um, uh, just to wrap it up today, um, what would you say for those people who um, have many dreams maybe, and they maybe already also have done vision board and so on, but still things are not really moving. Like what's those like little kicks they could do or change so that, you know, things would start to manifest faster for them. I think that that one of the first things that that you have to do is make sure that the dream is the dream. Because a lot of times we think that we're supposed to be dreaming about this stuff. And and when there's no motivation behind it, usually you've got something on there that's not real. You need to dig in and, and dig deep. And I'm happy to share, you know, the why workbook with you, Crystal. You can share it with everyone in your audience if you want, but um, that'll that'll help you get in there and really find that purpose because there's one thing at your core that really, really ignites you. And if you're not getting any traction, you're not passionate enough about what you think you're going after. So I think the first thing to do is really to start there. Um, I always tell people, don't watch the news. And I always tell people, you have to be practicing gratitude. And I know that's a big thing for you too, Crystal. But the gratitude is a game changer. As often as you can, get out and volunteer and, and serve in your community. You know, I always say, you want to you wanna be successful? You tell me how you're serving. And for anybody who feels stuck right now, if I asked you, how are you serving? And you can't answer that question, that's why you're stuck. Because how you're serving should be should trigger an automatic response. So I think if you're in generosity mode and you're in gratitude mode and you're out there serving, everything is going to fall into place as long as you know that what you're going after is really what you want to go after. Don't lie to yourself. Yeah, yeah it's, it's so true that, you know, um, once you start giving and also if you start giving from truly from your heart, then... Mm-hmm. It activates the abundance in action, as is the podcast title, you know. Uh, Exactly. And and then we become the abundance in action. So Mm -hmm. we all have so much abundance inside of us and we are just kind of conditioned to look outside, you know, uh, ourselves, like, you know, Mm -hmm. abundance or money or whatever possibilities. But if we would just start maybe from the inside, from that self-love, as you said today, so maybe things will, you know, start differently 
And I like one quote, uh, which is kind of uh, really nicely ties this thing um, up as well. He says, he or she who waits to take the first step will spend his or hers entire life on one foot. So it's time to... very powerful. Yeah, put the both foot down and start to walk your talk or walk your um, Mm -hmm. walk and uh, become the abundance in action. So... Amen. Beautiful. I yeah, love it. Beautiful way. I love it. Yay. Yes. So thank you so much, Berta. And um, where can people find you? Um, I'm easy to find on LinkedIn, uh, Berta Medina. Uh, you'll, you'll see me on there. I'm also uh, Dreamers Succeed on Facebook, uh, Dreamers Succeeding on, on Instagram. And I don't do Twitter much, but I have one. It's Dreamers Succeed. But LinkedIn, um, and uh, and the Facebook for the for the business page and Instagram are usually the best ways to find me. And my my website is bedamedina.com, so it's easy. Mm-hmm. And you also have a podcast, so yes, and I have a podcast called the Dreamers Succeed Podcast. Um, I'm sure Crystal will share it with you, but I had a lot of fun uh, podcasting with Crystal and Michael. It was a, a very well received. People had a lot of fun, and I got a lot of really great reactions from that podcast when it was released. And it's just about people like like Crystal that they're out there in business helping people reach their their what matters to, to generate abundance and doing it from a place of beautiful generosity. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so beautiful that we live now during the times where we can actually create our own stages. So, you know, we don't have to just knock uh, the doors and be kind of sad that no one opens. We can just uh, set the stage and uh, hit the button. And here we That's are. That's it. That's so, it. Amen. Yeah. I love I love Yay. it. <laughs> Thank you so much for being our very first guest. And um, now it's opened up for many other, you know, amazing people and guests to come. And Absolutely. Uh, we'll put all the links um, and connections um, also here um, with the video and the audio version. So uh, I hope um, everyone will enjoy and we wish you all the best and lots of abundance in action. Thank you, Crystal. Amen. Yeah.